Time to travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting with Jako Oosthuizen, CEO of Multiply, about how you can save on travel costs using a rewards program. I'll be reporting back on the launch this morning of the Slow Lounge at the Cape Town International Airport, as well as giving you some fabulous travel ideas a little bit later in the show. And then I'll also be joined in studio by Martina LaRue. Now, she grew up behind the Berlin Wall and at the age of 19 decided to escape, which she did in the boot of a car. Well, she'll be telling us her story as we mark 25 years since the fall of the wall on November the 9th. And just like my Law Report and Health Matters programs, there's now a short list of available documents for time to travel. You can find them on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM. If you'd like any of those, post a message there. But please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. Or you can drop me a mail to travel at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to Travel with Karen Key. Well, we're always looking for ways to cut costs, especially when it comes to holidays and travel costs. You know, we always think of them as being possibly that one thing that we really possibly could do without when the budget is a little bit tight. Well, one day, one way we can save on all these things is by using a rewards program. And there's quite a number of them out there. But to tell us about just one of the many, I'm joined this evening by Jaco Oosthuis, CEO of Multiply. Jaco, good evening. Welcome to the show. Uh, good evening, Corin. How are you doing? Well, I'm very well, thank you. I always like to think of how I can save some money. So tell me how about rewards programs. How do they work? Um, you get a various number of rewards programs. Um, obviously, the ones linked to retailers. Our own program multiplies um, MMI or Momentum's wellness and rewards program. Uh, we encourage people to be uh, financially and physically well. And as they become more financially and physically well, they get better rewards with us. So you obviously get the bank programs as well, where you can earn and redeem points and so on. So there's, there's a huge number of these programs available in the country. There's um, currently over 70 loyalty programs available. Um, and more than 10 million South Africans carry um, loyalty cards with them. It's actually quite frightening. I know when I open my purse, I mean, I can't find the credit card because there's all these other things in there. <laughs> but the thing I like about Multiply, though, Yako, is that we get points or we get something and you just explain to me how this works if we take responsibility and do something healthy with ourselves yeah it's, um, we're looking a bit more realistically at, at mm. wellness you know uh, physical wellness and financial wellness so from a financial perspective we've got a lot of tools that people can come and use on our website where they can um, you know budget and um, do financial needs analysis so about 50% of the points you can earn is, is based on being financially well and the others is about physical wellness, you know, being active and, and eating eating healthy and so on. Um, we find there's a huge correlation between the two because physical um, uh, wellness is, is directly correlate, correlated to financial wellness. You know, so people who are financially unwell uh, manifest a lot of um, um, health issues. So basically it's a two-way street here because we, if we're financially well, we can afford that little bit of a better holiday. But then if we are part of Multiply, we can also get some points and we can get all sorts of discounts and things, if I'm not mistaken, to go and have this fabulous holiday we've been dreaming about all year. Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of our own client research, you know, everyone wants to stretch their wallets, you know, and um, and holiday in, in, our, in our target market is, is, a, is a big item that people want to do. And um, we want to make it easier for people to travel locally, you know. So we've got a... Um, you know, one of the benefits of Multiply is the travel benefits, which is probably one of the best travel benefits in the country at the moment. Um, we've uh, got partnerships with the likes of Mango and Avis and a couple of the big hotel chains and with very big discounts, you know, for clients on offer. So the nice, that's quite nice because it's every aspect of the holiday. So it's not just you're going to get a nice discount on maybe the accommodation, but pay a yeah. fortune for the air travel or the car hire. If we work up, play our cards right here, we could get big discounts on all of that. Yeah, I mean, the Mango discounts with us starts at 20%, you know, so 20 to 50% discount on flights is a huge amount. Mm. So, um, and then on Avis, on the car rental side, it's on 50, 15%, um, up to 40% discount. Sure. I think the, the great thing about Multiply is the, it's so easy to book the, the flights, you know. Um, it's directly integrated into the website. You just type in your ID number um, and all the details are there. So we've found that when we integrate it with Mango, our number of 
flights that we um, that we get uh, bookings on is a increased five times. So people don't have to go and do this separately with Mango. They can do this all through Multiply. Yes, oh, no, they can nice. just do it all through Multiply, and then we've fully integrated into Mango and into the Avis website. So it's very easy for members to use it. Over the last year, we filled two hundred and six planes for Mango. Sure. Um, so it just. If you sit in a Mango plane, there's probably about 30 to 40 multiply members in the plane. Um, so it's it's getting quite a sizable um, number of people that, that utilize the benefit. And um, we saved about 20 million to clients over the last year just on Mango. Sure. Now, you mentioned local travel. Does this also include possibly international travel as well or not? Yeah, we have uh, uh, deals with Virgin Atlantic and um, and Emirates. Um which is also quite nice discounts, up to 40% discount. Sure. So, um, really, I mean... Obviously, for, yeah. for just for listeners, I mean, these discounts usually exclude um, airport taxes. So oh, the dreaded to, airport taxes, yes. Be aware of that. <laughs> Those dreaded airport taxes. They always sneak up there and they think, oh, you think, oh, that's a really good deal. And you say, see, excluding airport taxes, and you think, oh, no, really? But yeah. if you're getting such a nice discount anyway, you know, it, it's, it doesn't hit you quite as hard because then maybe the money you saved will cover the airport taxes. So. No, for definitely. That'll be rather nice. So this is actually one of those things where we, if we look after ourselves, as you said, financially and physically, we do. Do basically, do you get more points the better you're doing health-wise and financially? Yes. So um, if you do, a, you know, it's a huge number of assessments. You can. Uh, people are welcome to go on our website and have a look at, at how easy it is. And um, basically, you start at a bronze status and then move all the way up to private club status. Um, and the more you engage with the program and become physically and financially well, the more um, benefits you get. But even the basic benefits by just joining, you know, like 20% discount on Mango is very sizable and 15% on Avis. If I just look at travel, and then we've got a huge number of, 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 of other um, benefits as well. Yeah, I was having a look at your website, and I was thinking, gosh, oh, this all looks very good. I might actually get very healthy before the end of the year. <laughs> just looking at what, what, I mean, there's these Kalahari vouchers. There's, you can get cameras. You can get, basically, yeah, just to put it plainly, you can almost get almost anything. You can get almost anything. You know, we recently launched, or not recently, about a year ago, launched an online uh, shop, and that is doing tremendously well. You know, we've the, our philosophy in our online shop is that we want to give people the best prices, so we don't, you know, make any margin on on, on the on the products. And um, the clients are really um, in the, the utilization is increasing dramatically, and we're adding um, new items onto that online shop on a monthly basis. So um, some of the you know, the big items on these Canon cameras and, um, you know, Garmin's. Uh, Garmin, we're probably the biggest supplier um, of Garmin's in the country at the moment. And um, so it's it's uh, it's, it's a really a huge um, benefit for, for consumers out there. Do you find that the whole concept of rewards programs has grown quite significantly over the last few years? Yeah, it has. I mean, it, they, there are a myriad of these programs around. Um, and you need to be careful, you know, um, which ones you choose, not to fill up your your um, wallet by too many cards. Mm. Um, you know, our philosophy from a multiplier perspective is we have this philosophy of less is more. So we would rather get less partners and on board and really give people huge value. And um, that's one of the big differentiators for us. And then also the focus on making people financially, financially and physically well. Um, that is a, a core philosophy that we want to, to follow. I mean, and our members are more financially and physically well. So um, it's really a, a win-win situation for us and the consumer. So basically, we have to go out there and do something. Because don't get no, There's nothing is for nothing. So we've got to go and look after ourselves to a point. And if we yeah. do that and we're responsible about doing that, we'll reap the benefits by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, if you, um, if you just join and you don't do anything, you still get benefit. Um, but then, obviously, as you as you look more after yourself, then your benefits will just increase. Um, we do have, though, you know, some free. We've got about eight hundred thousand people on our free free offering as well, which you don't pay for. Um, and um, even on that one, you get seven and a half percent discount on Mango, for example, by just you know being uh, there. Mm. Being there. Sure, it sounds like a win-win situation for everybody here. Yeah, I know it's. Um, 
actually a no-brainer. Gosh, so all of us thought we couldn't go on holiday. This is definitely one of those ways. We just have to do something responsible, and we could be looking at having a really fabulous holiday in not too distant future. We have to look into rewards programs, and as I said, this is multiplies one of those, and there are many of them out there, but this one seems to have quite a lot of really good advantages, especially when it comes to having a holiday and traveling all over the place, even internationally if you want to. So, Yeah. I mean, I can maybe just mention, so for example, on Mango, uh, you had the SAA um, ad earlier mm. as well, but you can get your multiply discount and pay with your Voyager miles as well and use your Edcus Club if there's any balance left to, to pay for it. You wow, know? So okay. affordability becomes, um, you know, it becomes affordable for anyone to travel, actually. Sure. That sounds actually amazing. Yaku, thank you very much indeed for joining us and telling us all about this. What made me rather excited now. But uh, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure, Corin. I hope you have a great evening. Thanks, you too. Jaco Oosthuizen is CEO of Multiply, and for more information, you can take a look at www.multiply.co.za. Well, I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show, I was going to tell you about the relaunch of the Slow Lounge at Cape Town International. That happened this morning. They reopened their doors. It was originally, it opened originally in 2010, and apparently it's the second most popular Slow Lounge next to the one at OR Tambo. And gosh, it's one of those places where you actually can't quite believe you're at the airport when you go in there. Um, if you go to the lounge, it includes things like free Wi-Fi, snack choices, coffee, selection of wines. There's an Amani spa, which offers treatments before you fly. I mean, gosh, I could really do with one of those. As well as individual washrooms and shower facilities. Now, but there's a bit of a catch, though. Access to the slow lounge is unfortunately exclusive to qualifying FNB Platinum check and credit card holders. FNB private clients and business card holders, British Airways Executive Club gold and silver card holders, British Airways Club business qualifying card holders. So you've got to basically either belong to FNB or to Rand Merchant Bank, which is which is R, um, the what did I say RMB? It's FNB, sorry. And also British Airways Executive Club Gold and Silver Card Holders. So if you've got any of those, you will definitely have access to that slow lounge at Cape Town International. Also the one at OR Tambo, I would imagine, as well. But it's definitely worth a visit. And while we're on the top, well, not on the topic, but of tourism, it's World Tourism Day today. And I received an email earlier this afternoon that told me that Cape Town is leading the way in responsible tourism with two Cape Town tourism members winning gold at the World Responsible Tourism Awards that took place at the World Travel Market in London today. And basically, Cape Town also announced that uh, Cape Town itself will be hosting the International Conference on Responsible Tourism in Destinations in May 2015. Now, those awards, Hotel Verde, we've actually had them on the show a couple of times. They're known as the greenest hotel in Africa. They won the Best City Hotel Gold Award, and the V&A Waterfront won the Best Destination Gold Award at the 11th Responsible Tourism Awards. And then other South African finalists also received awards. Madumbi Backpackers, based in the Eastern Cape, received an accolade winning the Best for Poverty Reduction Silver Award, and SASA, South African Animal Sanctuary Alliance, which includes places like Monkey Land, Birds of Eden and Jukani, won a gold award for Best Animal Welfare Initiative. And they also won the overall World Responsible Tourism Award. So basically, a lot of South African finalists and winners in those awards and something to be very, very proud of, I think. Time to travel with Karen Key. For 30 years, the Berlin Wall was the defining symbol of the Cold War, separating families and keeping the people from jobs and opportunity in the West. On August 13, 1961, the Communist government of the German Democratic Republic, or East Germany, began to build a barbed wire and concrete wall between East and West Berlin. The official purpose of this Berlin Wall was to keep Western fascists from entering East Germany and undermining the socialist state, but it primarily served the objective of stemming mass defections from East Germany. To West. The Berlin Wall stood until November the 9th, 1989, when the head of the East German Communist Party announced that citizens of East Berlin could cross the border whenever they pleased. That night, ecstatic crowds swarmed the wall. Some crossed freely into West Berlin, while others brought hammers and picks and began to chip away at the wall itself. To this day, the Berlin Wall remains one of the most powerful and enduring symbols of the Cold War, and on November the 9th, 2014, we mark the 25th anniversary of the fall of the wall. Joining me this evening is Martina LaRue. Now, she was one of the people trapped in East Berlin when the wall went up, but she was also one of those who managed to escape. Martina, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. So the wall went up in August 1961. How old were you at the time? 
I was at this time six years old, turned nearly seven years and um, still a very small child. The school began in September and I started just, wasn't even in school, just in kindergarten in those days. Growing up, what do you remember of life behind the wall? For me, it was fine. We had a good life. My parents were lucky. They got in the 50s uh, a new built flat because uh, they started in the 50s building some flats in the east as well. And my father served in the government of East Germany. So we got a new flat, a very small one. I've seen it just a couple of years ago. I thought, oh gosh, lived we in a small flat. But when I was a child, children are small. It was fantastic. And my life was fine. My mother traveled every day to West Berlin. She worked there in a pharmacy. She never told my dad about it, but she earned good Westmarks there. And just until that day, but it didn't affect me personally. How was she allowed to do that? She was not allowed to do oh. it. She had a good friend in the in the West, in West Berlin, and she traveled with the S-Bahn, was a public transport there every day, and that I don't tell my father. She always said, we're going to Friedrichstraße, that was the last street in the East. So always when we arrived there in the West, it was Neukölln, I always said, oh, here is the Friedrichstraße. Mama said, psh, psh, psh. <laughs> And family, was there family on the other side of the wall? There was much family on the other side of the wall. My parents originally from Thüringen, what's uh, my mother, my father were born just a couple of kilometers away from the state Bavaria. And um, as you perhaps know, the first after 45, um, a couple of months, nearly half a year, Turing belonged to the Americans. And then it has changed because they traded Turing into for West Berlin. And then the Russians moved in. And a little bit later, when my mother was pregnant, and, and then she moved to Berlin from there. And so family in Bavaria, family in West Berlin, family in, in, in Hamburg and all all over. And in the East, of course, too. Did you get to see them at all, the ones outside or in the West? When I was a child, we saw often, but uh, then the wall was still open and it was still easy to travel. My father's sister lived in the West in Stuttgart and we saw them quite often, yes. When did it become more closed, if it's such from, a thing? From that certain day, from the 13th of August. So it, was so it had been finished. slightly open. You could move quite freely. At, at yeah, especially in Berlin. Only in Berlin. Until the 13th of August, 61, everyone could move freely within Berlin. They used the public transport. No one was controlling. Outside in Germany, outside Berlin, it was already controlled. And you said life wasn't too bad as a child in East Berlin. You didn't really know any different because you were very young when the war went up. And yeah, so this we, was life. Yeah, we were in West Berlin often. We have still mm. pictures from Café Kranzler when we went there for... I mean, of course, you could get more in the West than in the East, but the people weren't starving in the East. That was not the case. So you decided at the age of 19 that you wanted to get out. Yes, Why? that's right. Uh, that is a very good question because, uh, like I said, my later on, my parents bought a house and I, w I was never starving. I could serve school. I made my trick. I went to what you call here high school. So nothing wrong with that. But my father worked in the international section of um, the government and he was very often in Japan. He could travel. We couldn't. And uh, I lived very close to West Berlin. And in my idea, in Germany, it was like that. Everyone, every woman who is 60 is allowed then to leave East Germany and every man who is 65 is allowed to leave East Germany. We never thought that the war will fall again. We were only allowed to go to the communist states like Russia, Hungary and, and Czechoslovakia, Poland, the neighboring states. But no one of us could never even think of going to a Western country. It was forbidden. And at the age of 19, you decided you wanted to see more of the world? Yes, that was, that was perhaps the main reason, but you must think about it. It was a communist state, and even in school, you were not allowed to say what you think. Perhaps it's understood more in South Africa. I mean, you, there was a long time of apartheid, and uh, where people not could say what they wanted, or even now in Zimbabwe. That's why they escaped here to South Africa. So what happened? When you decided to leave, you, yeah, that you was couldn't quite just a, buy a ticket and go. No, no, it was quite a complicated situation. I tried to make contact to some underground people who were organizing escapes. Because I have done before, I was still in school with a friend. We tried to escape from Czechoslovakia to, to Austria. And we drove there and 
just that day. We just want to look at the border, actually where the border is. And even on the way, just to find out where the border is, already a Russian army truck came there and stopped us. What are we doing? We said, oh, no, we're just uh, walking along and look at the nice landscape and so on. So I don't know if they believed us, but we came out of the situation and it made me realize that I, we have to organize it. My friend Elfie, we went to school together, we made matric together, organized it herself, but they got her at the border and she served three years in jail and the, and the West German guy who got her out got seven years. Wow. So I have organized it different with a real org organization. They're bringing people out from the east to the west. And I had some family in Münster because uh, I had to pay for that 15,000 Deutschmark in those days. That was before, long time before the euro came. It must, must have been quite nerve-wracking, though, for you making these arrangements and not really knowing if you were making them with somebody who was going to suddenly go and report you for doing this. It, you took quite a leap of faith in doing this. Yeah, but on the other hand, uh, in those days, I think often today about it, I was very young. And if you're young, you, you haven't so many fears. You, mm. you take things much easier. And I think it was professionally organized. I uh, was supposed to escape a year earlier, but 73 was the day of the, um, what you call that, where um, the youth of the world and East Berlin was hosting it. And, um, and they had suddenly large controls at the border, what I've heard, and they told me, no, we postpone it. So it was then postponed to the 4th of February, 74, when I escaped. So how did you escape? Did you tell your family that you were going no, or did no, you no. just go? No, I just went because I knew if the family is knowing, they go to jail too. They're not allowed. They would have to report me. Everyone who would know about it had to report me. Otherwise, they would serve jail or, or court case or whatever. And they are very strict about that. So I just knew that it was a transporter. It wasn't organized. I told you an, an organization. And the one guy who is organizing it and doing it, he worked for a truck company. And they were getting in new BMWs from Munich to West Berlin. And on that wave, on the highway, on the A9 from, from Munich to Berlin, we had a certain point point to that he will stop and that I go in one of the boots of those cars. There was another lady who escaped with me, but I have never met her before and never seen her afterwards. So she had to pay her amount too, but we only paid afterwards. We had to uh, sign checks in the, in the east and that they, could, they pre did present it then in the west. So you got in the boot of a car. How yeah. long was the trip from when you the, got in the, the boot? The trip was not very long. It was half an hour to the border. Okay. And uh, you just said the important thing is the border, that we don't move. And um, then he was talking to the people. And often I got asked, uh, were you afraid or what mm. did you feel in, in the boot? And I must tell you, from that time on, we came to the border my, my foot started itching oh, no. and I couldn't think about anything else that I just wanted to scratch it. And I couldn't think about anything else. I just thought you have to be quiet. I couldn't think about the police outside and the army was, was standing there. I could hear it all, but I was just thinking about that scratching foot. It was <laughs> maybe the mind Maybe, maybe it was working. a good thing. It took yeah, your mind yeah. off it. Yeah. Gosh, and you got through the border without any problems? Without any problems, unbelievable. And when we were in the West, he said he will hoot. Then we came out West Berlin in Grunewald side. And um, he said, before he said he will only let us out when we're very far away from the border. But then he drove a little bit into the forest because they can still see far away. They're controlling everything and they did let us out a little bit earlier. Obviously, then you contacted your family when you got to the no, West. No, not, not. Im not immediately because there was an agreement that I only con contact my family one day later because they immediately in the East will check, oh, she escaped, which cars came through the border that day, where it could could be a possibility. So I only, only I told my family that I'm uh, in those days I was studying in the East and um, I told them I'm staying with a friend, what was not a problem. I was 19. So... I only called them on the 5th of February. That was quite a shock. My mother always said, I spoke to my sister, she's six years younger. And when my parents came home in the evening, she told them, oh, Martina escaped. And I said, oh, okay. 
and they told my grandmother to burn everything in the house what looks like they like there were uh, magazines from the west or something like that so we in those days we had our heating system in the cellar and we were still um, burning with with um, heating with coal today it's all by a gas or, or oil or whatever but in those days it was still was coal and so my grandmother was just burning all the newspapers and and so on while my parents drove to the Staatssicherheit that was the secret service of the east Perhaps you have heard about it, mm. or a short form called Stasi. And my mother always said it was in February, it was very early dark, and at evening, seven o'clock, they rang the bell, and it was dark there at, a, at this building. And they said, what do you want? She said, we have to report an escape from the east. And in this moment, she said, all the lights went on. <laughs> Come in. Okay, it was a real shock for the family. It it stopped part of the career for my for my father, for my mother not, but she was as a pharmacist, so we can't do much to her. I was going to ask you if there were any repercussions. So obviously, your father paid for you having escaped, basically paid the price. Yeah, but later later he got the payback. Oh, after falling Good. the wall. Okay. The wall. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't all. I mean, it was it was. It was a while before the wall fell after you escaped. But and your family, you had any contact with them after you after that one call? Did, were um, you able to contact them at all? Yes, yes. I got later my my Stasi Akte because everything was reported, of course, from the Secret Service. And what I didn't know when I read it, I only got it three years ago, that they already knew in the East that I will escape. It's all written down. They were they were looking after me. Eleven IMs, what you call informal. People they 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 watch you and they reported to the to the secret service and the secret service itself, but they knew that I'm in contact with an organization, but they wanted to come behind the people. They knew that I wanted to escape, what I didn't know, but they weren't good enough that this day because um, they watched me and they couldn't find out with whom I had contact and they didn't this particular day. Uh, they didn't follow me, or they, they didn't follow me every day, one must say, but they controlled certain things. They controlled not the telephone for my father. They weren't allowed doing it because he was serving in the government. That we found out they only controlled the telephone after my escape. Then they got permission for it. Before, they never got a permission for it. Uh, but they tried to control, control me via friends. But I've never spoken to any of the friends that I will escape. So they had already targeted you as a yes, possible yes, yes. person who was going to do yes, this at yes, some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, you obviously did a very good job of not alerting them to when or where up, you were up, going. So. Obviously, <laughs> obviously. But later on, we could see it in the reports written down. I have more than 1,000 pages wow. about about two years or, of my life. You won't believe it. I mean, they were working like the Secret Service watching in the East, we're living 17 million people, and I mean, each one watched each one. And they had a service force of freelancers working for them, more than 90,000 people in the country. Wow. They found out later, after falling of the wall, you had more information, more access to information. So there was uh, what you call it, we say in German, Bespitzelung. When you, when you, I mean, I think you know it from apartheid times, when you had... The, the the people what you call them the collaborateurs collaborators and yeah, collaborators and all informers sort of and all that and of course you had that in the east too and often they put people under pressure if you don't do that then either your son can't study or you have done something wrong you go to jail or something most most of the people didn't on their, didn't do it on their own free will and I think it's perhaps understood people they have under repression. You, men- you mentioned that your parents had to go and report the fact that now that you had, yes. had escaped. What would have happened to them if they hadn't reported you? Uh, they, they would have gone to jail for sure. Because for my friend Elfie, I told you mm. that her escape um, didn't work at the border. That was not an organization. It was a private thing done. And they, at the border, they opened just the boot and she came out and they drove. And her parents knew about her escape. And her parents had to go for one year in jail veterinists and a doctor, her father, and her brother studied in the East, and he went for one year to jail too. And after one year, they could they came out of jail. I think you heard about it. The East East Germans uh, made money with um, people with in, in jail because the West bought them free after a certain while. 
they paid for oh, it. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, that was well known. And usually they paid for a person who comes in jail because they wanted to escape. They paid something like, I think, between 30 and 90,000 Deutschmark. And that was quite a good business for the East. So double morality. On the one side, you put them in jail. On the other side, you sell them again to the West. So you got out. Was life what you expected it to be? Look, I didn't know really what I expected, but I was very lucky. I have very good family in Münster, what's 500 kilometers away from Berlin. I called my uncle. And in those days in the East, you were already, what do you call that again, adult? or Yes, you'd be, you'd become of age. You were the age of majority yeah. at 18. So yes. it was in the East was 18. In the West, in those days, only 21. So I called my uncle in Winston. He said, you take the next plane. You come immediately to Hanover. I fed, we fetch you there. They have four children. He is a civil engineer and he has a construction company. So I came into this family where their children around about my age, plus minus, and I could start studying in the West because the law from the West was that they recognized East Germany as an own state. And because they didn't recognize it as an own state, I was for them a German. So I got immediately my German passport and all the official things. My uncle helped me with this. And um, he was officially the one, what you call that... Um, your guardian or your... Yeah, mm. yeah until I'm 21. And... And then many things were new. I mean, it started with little things. I wanted to buy a packet of cigarettes in those days. We were all smoking. and But in, in the East, you, you only buy it in shops. In the West, you had those machines, those automats. Yes. I didn't even know how they worked. And I went in a, in a pub there and I said, I want to buy a packet of cigarettes. He said, around the corner, there you can buy it. So I'm not that stupid. So I saw this machine. It was very dark in those corners. And I took a light and to read the instruction <laughs> how to get a packet of cigarette, uh, cigarettes out. And I mean, fashion and clothing, shoes, that's, that must have been quite different to what you did. That is very different, mm. yes. Um, I mean, we had, we had fashion too, or we got stuff mostly from family members in the West and so on. But of course, it was great seeing it when it's such a long time ago, 74, it's now... Uh, Forty years ago, mm. it's wow. a long, a long time ago. It's a long time ago. And were you in Berlin when the war came down? No, I wasn't in Berlin. At eighty-nine, I was in Johannesburg. My son was just born this year on the twenty-second of September. <laughs> he was born, and interesting was my mother was in um, Johannesburg because um, that was my second child, and she asked permission that she could visit her daughter in the West. And, they, and she became an early pensioner. In those days, she was still in her 50s, but she said that she wanted to become an early pensioner. Just Then, you can, then, you, then you're allowed to travel as a pensioner. If you're not a pensioner, you're not allowed to go to the West. So she flew for the first time. We have organized a ticket for her. Though She drove to Hamburg from Hamburg, Frankfurt, Frankfurt, Johannesburg. And she arrived on the 9th of September in Johannesburg and stayed there until the 9th of December. So she was with you when the wall fell? Yes, and that was for her. She always said, oh, gosh, she said, first in my life I made an overseas trip and left my country for such a far place, and then I come back and my country doesn't exist anymore. How, what did it feel like when that wall came down? Because you, uh, you know, there was, there was step by step. We already watched TV. Mm. And uh, in those days I was working as a foreign correspondent for German newspapers for the Handelsblatt. And we were talking about it, and I remember my husband, a South African, that's why I have a good surname, LaRue. Yes. <laughs> and he said, oh, the wall will fall now. I said, oh, you think like the Americans, the wall will never fall. None of us. None of us journalists were sitting with the Spiegel, with the ARD, ZDF, and all the correspondents we sat together were discussing it, what's going on. And we said, if we're lucky, we said, it will perhaps easier for the people in the East to travel. Maybe they could travel to the West. But we never thought that the wall will fall. So you saw that escaped Maya Hungary. It, it started early in, in, in August. You perhaps heard this big where they all escaped into the West German embassy. And there came a certain day where they freed them and they could travel all to the West. 
and you could see suddenly they changed the government already and we were all shocked about the news but in those days you didn't have internet no cell phones mm. it was very complicated to have a phone call you could have a phone call when you when I called from Johannesburg to my father we had first to call uh, Johannesburg called Cape Town Cape Town called Frankfurt am Main Frankfurt am Main called Leipzig and Leipzig called my parents lived a little bit outside from Berlin Friedersdorf you won't believe it <laughs> And once I said to them, God, the East Germans have a bad connection. Then the one from Leipzig was answering, no, it isn't us. <laughs> Because they were listening all the time. So you couldn't have a private conversation? Not really, no. Not really. It was a very bad line. Often you had a very bad line. So uh, we didn't have much contact, but we, of course, watched TV and, and had access to information. And I remember that 9th of November, when the wall fell at... Half past two at night in Johannesburg, my phone rang and it was a friend of mine, Florian Backhausen, at this time working for the radio station in Berlin. And I said, Florian, you know what time is? He said that the time doesn't matter. He said, the wall fell. I said, which wall? <laughs> Because I came out, <laughs> out of your sleep. sleep. <laughs> He said, the Berlin wall. I said, come on, how much did you drink? And But eventually I believed it. I went around uh, work my mother and my, my husband and and in the morning you didn't feel really like it you more felt like coffee but we opened a bottle of champagne on those days sparkling wine good South African sparkling wine and it is said we can't believe it that was and I was I would have felt like flying immediately to Berlin but I had a one one and a half months old child and so I couldn't do it and you've been back I would imagine subsequently since then Yes, yes, I was all the time in Germany and in the 80s, beginning of the 80s, they had a general amnesty in the East. That meant people, they fled before a certain time or escaped from the East, uh, they were allowed to go back to the East. So I could travel to the East, I think from 82 or 83 onwards. So I was visiting my parents once a year or something like that. And when I still lived in Germany more times, just entered the border from West Berlin, with the visa up to midnight. Going back now, it's almost, I've seen photographs, it's almost as if it didn't exist. It's unbelievable. My, my daughter was born in 85, both my children born in South Africa, they're South African and they're proud South Africans. My son is living now in the East. He's studying in Berlin. First he studied at UCT and uh, he loves it there. And when I said, oh, that's the East, that doesn't matter to them. Mm. They're where the young people live and they heard about the wall. And they find it very interesting, but they have no idea what it meant, actually. that this, They can't even think of that the city was divided once, and you can't see it anymore. For the celebrations in November this year, it's going to be, I've seen some pictures of what they're going to be doing, and just a portion of the wall, obviously they're not doing it for the entire length of the wall, they're going to have these lights um, just in a line where the wall was, part of it. Yeah, and they have balloons. Balloons, yes, it's yeah, quite amazing. balloons, mm. and they do it through the whole city in the city center where the wall went through and then one can get the idea again and I think at midnight the balloons all go in the air and what a free. wonderful idea yeah I think it's an amazing idea yeah. I've got a postcard actually that you can move and you mm. can see it without the balloons with the lights and then you move it somewhere else and you can see where the lights are going to be where the a portion of the wall was yes and it was it was quite um, an incredible time in history actually that this happened, that people could actually do something like that and just erect a wall in the middle of a city and divide a city in half, basically. And I mean, we only know it from two countries. We know it about Korea, South and North, North Korea, Korea was yeah. still divided mm. and, and proper divided. And we had this Berlin Wall and there was not a wall similar in the world. There was nothing similar and, and there was hardly any chance to cross that wall. I mean, people who tried to escape from east to west, either they got shot or they got them um, at the border. And it was a very complicated and tricky thing to come out. I think a lot of people are, are probably know from movies and that sort of thing about Checkpoint Charlie. You know, that was the, the most famous checkpoint that, that people... That was for the foreigners. Yes, the, were, were, the, the were trying to get out, yes, yes. And, and escaping and, and people getting shot there. And Checkpoint Charlie was the one thing, if you talk to people about that, oh, yes, they know what that is. Checkpoint But Charlie that's about and all Brücke, where they mm. changed, that is from between Berlin and Potsdam, where they changed all the um, secret service people. I mean, sometimes they got some... 
from the CIA and sometimes they got on the other side some from the KGB or whatever and the Klinika Brücke at midnight you see it all nicely misty <laughs> and then they walked along there and the one could go home to the west and the other one home to the east but yeah that's all history. So it's, I mean, you were a part not the secret service. That's no. not history. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but you were a part of, of an amazing piece of history that has now, thankfully, disappeared. But it's incredible to have that story in your life that that you were there and you actually experienced it. And hopefully, nothing like that will ever happen again. Yeah, you know, the amazing thing is that for a long time I didn't even speak about it because I didn't want to answer all the time questions. Oh, you're from the East, how is it in the East and how did you escape and so on. And my husband had strict order for me not telling anyone when people ask where you're from. I said from Hamburg because I lived for the last 10 years in Hamburg. It's amazing since the wall fell and I got uh, my Stasi Akten in Red Set. All, so it's, an, it's part of history, but in, in only a small part of my life. It's was 19 years of my life and my other life I, I lived in the West. I lived for a long time in South Africa and so that's all part of my life too. must have been quite shocking to see that document with detailing your moves, almost every move you made for what you said, two years? Yeah, that was quite interesting because uh, for a long time after in the 90s they started that everyone who had a case with the East could ask for their documents. And a long time I didn't ask for it, and it takes a while until you get it. And in, only in 2010 I have asked for those documents. It took another year until I, they had them ready, and I think in 2011 or 2012 even I only got them. And then they come and they have a psychologist there, and he said, when you will read it because you see some people crying there. And I thought, oh. I said, no, just make me some copies. You have to pay for the copies. I read it at home. What can there be in? And then I got this from the thousand pages. They copied 380, the most important pages. And when I started reading it, it was very shocking. For me, it was very shocking that um, a state, because I wasn't a criminal, the only thing, what in my opinion, I did, I left a country to another country how they uh, watch a young person at university, where you go to, where you're having parties, where you're sitting, what you were talking about, it, how you were dressed, how you put your makeup on. And it was not, often not written in a nice way because they wanted to, to discredit you. And on the other hand, I see it now more positive. I said, okay, two years in my life, not everything is true what's written in there, but I can now remember on that... And the 2nd of January, I did go to this party and to this party. <laughs> because before I fled, I, I burnt my telephone book from mm. all my friends. I didn't want them to come in trouble. And in the Stasi Akte, there was the whole copy of my telephone book. So obviously someone took pictures of it. They had it. So I'm a bit shocked now. How on earth would they have got that? Because I'm sure you wouldn't have left it lying around all over no, the place. No, but you so. know, like it was your handbag. You come here, you go to friends, you leave your handbag standing around and there's a telephone book in and someone must have made, okay, there weren't copy machines in those days, but obviously cameras and they from the camera. What we figured out, it was done, it was uh, taking pictures from it. And that's all behind you now, you living here in South Africa. How did that happen? I, I started after my studies. I worked in Hamburg for a newspaper called Hamburger Abendblatt and um, then I was asked to to do a story in South Africa just for a short period. Though I came into the country actually not officially as a journalist because journalists weren't liked in the apartheid mm. years, as you know. So I was in Johannesburg and three, four days later I met my future husband and um, traveled back to Germany and um, couldn't get a visa as a journalist in. Though in those days, uh, but I wanted to come back and I got visa coming back for the German Chamber of Commerce. So I worked for three years as a PRO for the German Chamber of Commerce. And after that, I started back, come back into journalism. But then I was married in South Africa, but never was a permanent residence. They often forced me uh, taking a permanent residence. But in those apartheid years, I was married to a South African, but I, it felt to me a little bit like I lived in the East and I didn't like want that. to belong yeah. to a state what has apartheid. So after the war fell, the whole family, we all went to Germany. We all lived in Germany until 96 and we came back to South Africa. My father-in-law died and, um, and then I have asked for permanent residence. So I got it in the new South Africa. 
lucky today. I'm very happy having got, I know how difficult it is to get a permanent residence. Yes, yes. you're very fortunate. Absolutely. And you're happy now and those memories, some of which are good, they weren't all bad. Look, the my memories, memories back then, but some of them were unpleasant, but not all, as you said, you as a child didn't know that much when you were very and young. And the but mind is working amazing. Mm. You start forgetting the bad things and you only remember the good things. So my family is still alive. My parents still alive. They were in the 80s, quite old. And But for them, it, is, it was the bigger change than for me when the wall fell. Suddenly for them, everything started new. And they were in an age group where you couldn't start a new business or something like that. So it was more difficult for them. Yes. Yeah. But it was an, an, a very interesting part of your life and something that will, I'm sure has been part of who's made what's made you who you are today. It's, it's, it's obviously played a role in, in the way you think and the way you do things and the way you live. I'm sure that's had a, quite an impact on your life. I'm quite sure my children always say so. My children are very adventurous. My daughter is just in South Africa and... Maybe I can mention it, but she is in the finalists for the Better Living. She's an architect. Oh, wow. And Congratulations. A, a very good project here. And, um, and she's working very on the social side. She was one and a half years in Ethiopia uh, serving there, but for the German government, she has both citizenships. And now, she, but she wants to do something here in the country. And it, it's for her. Uh, she said, oh, no, I don't have to make the big money. I want, I do want to do something. And they have a very interesting project where they build some containers and to rebuild and to extend the RDP houses, try to get funding for it. And uh, of course, the city of Cape Town is sponsoring the whole thing. It's under the head of the Cape Town being designer capital. Mm. So she gets the adventure from her mother. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I was 19, a very good friend of mine, she wanted to escape with me that day, that particular day, but suddenly she was afraid of doing so, so she stayed in the East. And we only found each other because names have changed and suddenly I couldn't find her in the telephone book anymore. And we never had contact in between because it would have been dangerous for her. And we only saw again in the late 90s and I saw her this year in Berlin and she said to me, I can't believe it. The wall already, it's 25 years ago that the wall fell. The wall was standing 28 years and that was my whole life. It made my whole life and those 25 years of the wall, it's, it's for me like it was yesterday. And she said for her, it's like 28 years of her life. Okay, she lived in the East, it was fine. But if they have taken something from her away in life. And she never, ever escaped. She waited the war came down yes, and then she yes, got out. Yeah. It, I, I don't know if many people would be as brave as and you. And we are very different and we were very close because we had different lives. Well, I think it took a lot of guts to be able to do what you did, um, a lot of courage. I don't think most of us would be able to do that. So thank you. I take my hat off to people like you. Well done. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thanks, Karin. I was chatting there with Martina LaRue, and she's one of the people who had spent her early life in East Berlin and d took the decision to escape, which she did. And we've heard her interesting story, fascinating story, very courageous, I must say. And as I mentioned earlier this year, 2014, we mark the 25th anniversary of the fall of the wall on the 9th of November. The wall was built on August the 13th, 1961, and came down on November 9th, 1989. So this year, on the 9th of November, we mark the 25th anniversary of the fall of the wall. And it's one of those years when there seems to be a lot of marking of all sorts of amazing events, world historical events that's going on all throughout Europe. And a couple of weeks ago, you might have heard me chatting with Graham Howe. He was just over in Poland and they were celebrating or they were marking the 70th anniversary of the Warsaw Uprising and telling us a very interesting story about a movie actually made by a local South African from Somerset West down here in the Cape called The Men Who Went to Warsaw. And it's a fascinating thing. You can actually watch it on, on uh, YouTube. Have a look at that. And it was actually shown during the celebrations of the the, and the uprising in Warsaw quite recently. But there's also, if you're wanting to go over there, there also there's all marking all anniversaries of the First World War and the Second World War. And there's so much going on in Europe at the moment. And if you'd like to take a trip out there, there's stuff going on right through next year as well, 2015. And Trafalgar Tours, I was actually having a look at their website. They've got all sorts of amazing things. And one of the tours they do, they take you through Saxony to Leipzig, which was one of the major cities of the former East Germany, linking that back, obviously, to 
marking the anniversary of the fall of the wall, they go on through to Berlin and you can see things like the Reichstag, Tiergarten, Brandenburg Gate, Unter den Linden Boulevard and the German State Opera House. And then you can head east across the plains to Warsaw. It's part of that same trip, which is rather fun. So you can actually do quite a lot in one of those. And one of the more shockingly evocative, I think, is the only way to describe it. You can go, once you're in Warsaw, they take you to the site of the Warsaw Ghetto, which, if you remember, Graham Howe also spoke about that. It, it's quite almost goosebump-making uh, place to go to. And also, when you're in Poland, you can go to the salt mines. Graham also spoke about that, and that's actually quite amazing. It's one of the world's oldest salt mines. It's still in operation, and they've actually carved an entire chapel from the rock salt, an amazing amount of sculptures. It's quite incredible. One of the other trips that they do as well, which is something right up my alley, and I'd love to do this, you can go to the historic battlefields of the First and the Second World Wars, and it's like traveling to the historic Normandy D-Day beaches, listening to a haunting last post played at the Menon Gate in Eeps, where you can buy a wreath to lay in memory of the soldiers that lost their lives there. You can also go off, when you part, it starts off in London. You can go off to the Imperial War Museum. It tells the stories of those whose lives were shaped by the war from the First World War to the present day. So there's a lot of, a lot of history there as well. And then off to France, you can go off to travel to the historic D-Day Normandy landing beaches. And the beaches are and the surrounding areas there are a testament to the Allied soldiers of World War II. Too. And then you go off to Amiens and visit the cathedral, and that was built there. It was during the First World War that this town was liberated by the British, Canadian, and Australian forces, which ultimately led to the armistice of the 11th of November 1918. And that, of course, means that Poppy Day is coming up quite soon. You'll see everybody walking around with a red poppy on their shirt, and that is to mark the armistice of the 11th of November 1918. It was the 11th hour of the 11th day. And then also after the Somme battlefields, to go and see that and you go off to Passchendaele as well you can also go and see a replica trench there part of that tour takes you to Belgium and into Holland and especially into Amsterdam one of the things I would really like to go and see if ever I do get to Amsterdam is the Anne Frank house that is for me one of the most incredible stories of the war that amazing young girl and that amazing diary that she wrote and that would be something I would love to go and see if ever I got to Amsterdam Yilungilalako is a heart-heating program dealing with consumer rights. We get the most informed experts to answer the most difficult questions. From fraud and corruption to protecting the rights of children. From purchasing faulty equipment to finalizing estates. We give you all the information you need to empower yourself. I am Alicia Jali. And I am Sipiwon Zawumbi. Tune into Yilungilalako Fridays between 1.30 and 2.30 in the afternoon only on SABC1. Wilkshake's Mashaba's voice proof another stunner after an impressive away form in Bafana's journey to next year's AFCON final. Nigeria's Super Eagles have proven to be a tough assignment in the past and South Africa will have to be at their best to pull out what would be a famous victory at the newly built EOR International Stadium on the 19th of November at 8pm. The match will be broadcast live on your favourite radio station as well as your home of football, SABC1. Time to travel with Karen Key. Before I go, let me tell you about an event not to be missed. It's the SAFM Melting Pot of Sounds under the directorship of Zwei Bala. It features various South African artists, and they'll be ensuring that you have a very entertaining afternoon. There'll be classics, gospel, jazz, choral, R&B, and hip-hop. And featuring the Bala voices, Sepo Cholo, HHP, and 18-piece orchestra, and the Gauteng Opera Choir, to name a few. To win tickets to the event, SMS SAFM event to 347 and standard chance of winning tickets for you and a partner. It happens on the 16th of November at 1 o'clock at the Walter Sisulu Botanical Gardens. Well, that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And next week, I'll be back with you on Monday for The Law Report. So join me then. The Travel Show was brought to you by the travel experts. South African Airways, bringing the world to Africa, taking Africa to the world. Visit flysaa.com and book your dream getaway today. South Africa, meet South Africa. Meet 50 million reasons to say hello. Eta, meet Hauset. Salam, meet Molo. One day, meet one day. Meet a nation that loves to play and dance. Saki Saki, meet Pansula. Meet the original trance. 
Meet sunshine and taste our country's finest wine on Africa's favorite airline. There's a story in each seat because great things happen every time we meet. South Africa. Meet South African Airways. We are ready to connect you. South African Airways. Bringing the world to Africa. Taking Africa to the world. And it's time now for some nighttime music with Stephen Kirker. Hello, Stephen.